I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Chris Harrington joins me now. Chris, what are we listening to? This is an expert in a dying field, an all-timer of a breakup song by the New Zealand indie pop band The Best, in honor of the Grizzlies' breakup yesterday with Steven Adams. I think you've played this one before, and every time I hear this song, I'm like, man, I just love this song. I, I love her voice. This, this yeah, I have played it before, song. but like, you know, the breakup with a, with a Kiwi, I had, to, I had to bring it back. I saw you said on Twitter, not shocked, surprised. When, when you kind of went through all of it, now that you've collected your thoughts, you've written about it over at the Daily Memphian, kind of what, what, what are your first thoughts about it? Yeah, in terms of saying sort of not shocked, surprised, I, I, you know, we talk about this, you know, Grizzlies trade stuff a lot on the show the last few weeks. And, you know, I never wanted to say, like, I think they're going to trade Steven Adams. A, because I didn't, I, that's not where I was. And B, because it's, he's such a big figure that you don't want to just sort of throw that out there as something, you know. Yeah, you better, you better but, feel good but, about it. You better feel like you're right, you know what I mean, in that one. But, but when Jeff brought it up, I've made the point, I think, over the last few weeks of saying there, is, there were questions about his future with the team. And that of between him and Brandon Clark, he was more likely to be moved than Brandon Clark if they ended up doing something in that area. Um, I, I think to boil it all down, there's a lot of angles to it. I wrote about them all. But if you really want to boil it down, I think the Grizzlies were wary of the risk. Um, when you look at this season, they've had $25 million wrapped up in two centers in Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark who haven't played a single game. Um, they're both coming off these major injuries into next season. Next season, Desmond Bain's contract kicks in. Now the Grizzlies are in the luxury tax. And I just think they were wary of having $25 million wrapped up into two players at the same position who have a lot of injury uncertainty in a season where they can't, they can't afford to waste a lot of money. Like, they need to get their money's worth, you know, out of what they're doing. And so I think that's the stuff that really fed into it. When you say you you felt that Steven was more likely to be dealt than Brandon, do you feel that way just because of age? I think there's multiple factors. I think I think age is definitely part of it. Adams is older. Uh, they have him under contract. He only has one more year in his contract, whereas I think there's three more for yeah. Clark. Um, and then I think on the injury front, I think – I mean, there's a real question about Clark. You know, the game, the style game he plays coming off the injury he, he's had. You know, there's precedent for that recently of uh, similar kind of players. He's already out there like doing work, get out of the boot, and like may even play this season. I think to the degree, I think in terms of levels of uncertainty going into next season, the Grizzlies probably had more uncertainty on the Adams thing because he's further away from return than Clark. The, the way it's gone to this point has been, you know, the, the, the Clark thing has all gone according to expectation based on the injury. The Adams thing has obviously not gone according to expectation, as we've all seen. Um, he's never had a major injury before. I, I just think, you know, and then you add the age and the whole thing, I just think they had more uncertainty about Adams going into next season than Clark. And I think they felt like, given the tax situation, 
they couldn't afford to have that much money wrapped up in uncertainty at the same position. And and something had to give, you know, financially in terms of the taxes we've been talking about this week. And this is what it ended up being, at least for starters. It may, it may not be the only thing, the only move they make, honestly, between now and next Thursday related to freeing up some flexibility. But this is, this is going to be the big one. Yeah, I, I doubt, A, it's not as black and white as this. B, I doubt we'll ever get, like, a, a clear, straight answer. But I'm curious from your thoughts. Do you think this was primarily a basketball motivation or a financial motivation? I think they're all wrapped up together. I think it's hard to separate them out. Yeah. Um, I, and so I, I think the need, the need to free up some flexibility around the tax, I, I think, was something that was going to happen somewhere on the roster. I think, I, I think in terms of locating this, it's where you do it is wrapped up in the basketball uncertainty about his injury and, 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 you know, how much he's going to help them next season, how much he's going to help them, you know, in a playoff series. You know, I, I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't mention this in what I wrote, but, like, if you look at this from the Rockets' perspective, obviously they have faith. I mean, they're making this for Steven Adams to play for them next season. But they're not, they weren't, they didn't trade for him with the idea he'd be their starting center. Right. They traded for him with the idea he'd be their backup center playing, you know, 20 minutes or less a game. And so I, you know, if that's the kind of expectation they have on on what he's going to be next season, that's probably not an unfair expectation given the age of the injury stuff. And so for the Grizzlies, I just I felt like you know they needed to they needed to shake things up financially somewhere, and I just think they weren't comfortable going into next season depending on Adams Clark Adams Clark combo at, at the center spot. And so I think I, I don't think their work is done at that position. In theory, it could be. But I think that would be an unsatisfactory outcome if you don't add, you know, some other big man to your mix to replace the Steven Adams role between now and, and October. Do you think their starting front court next year would be Jaron and Brandon? I think that's a possibility. I mean, we'll see what Brandon looks like. I mean, the the, the numbers historically on, on lineups of Jaron and Brandon together are very good. You know, that, you know, two years ago when they ended up benching Steven Adams in, in that Minnesota series, I think Tillman started, but they really ran, they really rolled with, with Brandon Jaron. It's like their primary closing lineup, so they, they won that playoff series with it. I think that's a possibility, but I, I would, I, I don't think the Grizzlies are committed to that, like whatsoever, in terms of that's a starting lineup. I think there's a very good chance. That you know, there's, there will be a, an opening night starter for the Grizzlies next season that is not currently on the roster. I think there's a very good chance of that. Yeah, because the other thing I was thinking about. All right, let's say, let's say their primary lineup is Ja, Dez, Smart, Jaron, and BC. I mean, that team is very small, right? It is. Now, this is an issue because they're going to be playing. You know, you're starting to Marcus Smart, who's like 6'2 or whatever, at small forward, right? You're right. inherently small. And if you're not playing him, you're playing Vince Williams, who's 6'4. Now, Vince Williams plays a lot bigger than that and rebounds bigger than that, but he's still 6'4. And so, yes, I, I think size is an issue across the board for the Grizzlies. And that's something I think, you know, they, should, they need to try to address going into next season. You know, remember, they're going to have a top 10 pick. You know, there's a lot of centers in this draft, all over this draft. And so whether you move up, get lucky and move up in the lottery, or you stay put and pick 789, or whether you trade back, you know, they could definitely find themselves adding a big in the draft. They could also use that pick to trade for a, an established big. I think there's all kinds of paths 
that they could take. I, I think it would be it would be a disappointing outcome to roll back into next season with just with Jackson flanked by Clark and Aldama and like a re-signed Tillman or whatever. I think I think you could do that, but that is not what I think the goal should be. And honestly, in that situation, isn't it reasonable to say that team is worse? Well, worse than you know, if you had a healthy Stephen Adams, yes. But but but, but not not worse than this season when you've had no Stephen Adams and no fair, Brandon Clark. Very right? fair point. And and so, you know, if you stipulate to me, if you stipulated to me, I don't, you know, I can't tell you exactly what the Grizzlies thinking. But if you stipulated to me, you will get the Stephen Adams you will get next season, and the season is the Stephen Adams you had before this injury. I'm not doing that deal. Um, I, I think I think they they. They had too much concern about what that was going to be. Is it would be it would be my assumption here. How risky would it be to have a, a starting center who's a rookie? Um, you know, I, I I think it would be risky to have a starting center who's a rookie who you're really depending on to play the bulk of the minutes. Yeah, I, I think I think with Jaron, I think your front court rotation is going to be Jaron, and then like a round robin of of, of looks. And, like, who starts and who comes off the bench is maybe not that important. Um, it's going to be about the minute distribution. And so I think, you know, if you added a rookie center um, who was ready to contribute, you know, let's say someone who's had multiple years in college, like, you know, Kyle Lepowski from Duke or Donovan Klingon or Connecticut, from Connecticut or whatever. Yep. You're adding someone who's, like, you know, who should be ready to at least to a rotation in the NBA level. If you have that, but then you're you're juggling that with a Brandon Clark, with an Aldama, with a whatever, you're not depending on someone whether they start or not to be playing 30 minutes a game necessarily. So I, you know, I think there's risk in that because you can be the number one pick in the draft and play four years of college, and you show up and you can't play in the NBA. You never really know until you know. So I think that would have some risk. But you know, if you have other options like Clark and Aldama or Tillman or whoever the other options are. You know, having a rookie center who is in your rotation mix in your front court rotation, I think, I think sounds sounds like a, a path that could very well be taken. Do you feel like this move signals anything about their view of Luke Kennard next year? Oh, I think it, it definitely increases the odds that Kennard is back. Kennard is back. There was already a good chance Kennard would be back. They, they really like Kennard. They traded for him because they like that shooting. They want to see that shooting more with John Moran and Desmond Bain than, they, than they've, had, they've done so far. Um, they have the team option on him, so they can bring him back. It's, there, it's in the balls in, 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 their, you know, their, in their side of the court or whatever my metaphor is. Um, balls in their court, I and think. So, yeah, balls in their court. And so I, I, think, I think this increases the odds that Kennard is back. The odds are already decent Kennard would be back. I think they're more so now because the financial pressure is a little bit less. That said, like, I don't know, you know, Kennard, $15 million, I don't think is what anyone would want to pay Kennard. Uh, specifically, I don't think what anyone would want to pay for their fifth perimeter player, which is what Kennard's going to be. Yeah. When you have John, John Moran, Desmond Bade, Marcus Bart, and now Vince Williams, I think all above him in the pecking order. And then you add that, like, he's had his own injury reliability history, as we're seeing, like, all across this season. Like, it seems like he's out all the time with all the different stuff, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think it has been determined. As far as I can tell, it has not been fully determined one way or the other. There's not an absolute Kennard will be back or an absolute he won't be back. They have, they have some optionality there, and, and, and we'll see. 
we've been seeing more of Jaron and Santi together. It's something that you said you've you've wanted to see more of. What have you made of it so far? Yeah, I mean, Santi has shot the ball well the last two games, which is good to see. I mean, that, that's sort of the point of Santi. Like, yeah. you know, there's a limit to what you're going to get in some areas. You want someone who is who is stretching the floor and making threes and is a real scoring threat and gives you an offensive boost. So I think you've seen more of that lately, which is good to see. I think, you know, that's something to take a to step back and take a, d- a deeper look at at some point, which I haven't done. I think, broadly speaking, Aldama's had a disappointing season. I think his defense, which is not going to be good, has been just a little too, a little too lazy, a little too weak, more than it more than it should be, even given his limitations. I, I think he's, I don't know, he's just seemed a little nonchalant to me. You know, I, I don't think he's been, he has not seemed as sort of focused as maybe he did last season. You know, I think he's forced some stuff. I think he's been a little, a little lax defensively. He's been inconsistent, and so I, I, I think he's had kind of a disappointing season. You know, assuming that he is not traded in the next week, and I, you know, I certainly have no reason to believe he will be. I mean, it's certainly possible, but that, that's he's not one of the guys I, I'd be looking at most. Assuming he's here for the rest of the season, I think if he's healthy, he's going to play a lot the rest of the season, and this is a real time for him now to really make a case for himself. This, you know, maybe as a starter, but certainly as a, as a, as a real key rotation piece. Like I know he's been banged up with the knees, but the other thing, like that, I keep thinking because right. I'm with you. The same time, it's like. The first thought that came to mind is he just feels very leaky on defense. It's not like yeah. it's not like aggressively bad, but it's just kind of like, eh. like I'm just wondering, like, is this is it health related? Like, is he just gutting it out because he just doesn't look right to me when you watch it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but I agree that something that something has seemed off with him for a lot of this season. I I, I certainly agree with that. Is this Jaron's best year? I don't know. I, I, I feel oh, we're just like, making too much of offense because he's been good offensively. Yes. Yeah. No. I, well, he's been good in terms of his his, his game averages. Is the thing. His shooting percentages have not been good. Yeah. And so I find myself. I have I tended to be like above 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 par or above the line in terms of pro Jaron. Like from from the moment he was drafted, I find myself oddly lately being like uh, a little bit of well actually with him. Like, like, like I, I sort of teased Drew on our podcast this week, but, like, during a game the other night, Drew and Parker Fleming were like, he looks looking a lot like Giannis, and I wanted to say, unless you look at the rebounding numbers, yeah. you know, you know, I, I, I think he has been asked. Better free throw shooter. Cre- yeah. He's been asked to, cre- to take a lot of shots and create a lot of offense on this team lately. Um, I think you have seen predictably <laughs> – his counting numbers go up and his efficiency go down. Yeah. I think that that's to be expected given the circumstance. I think he has shown growth as an individual um, offensive creator uh, for himself and for others. I think, I think that growth is meaningful. I think it will, it will be, it will carry over for him in the next season. I don't think even though he's had these two good scoring games, the way he has played lately is the best version of Jared Jackson. Um, for himself or certainly for the team. But that's not about him. That's just about the team surroundings. And so I want to see a Jaron next season that can step back a little bit offensively and get back to being, you know, a defensive player of the year front runner and get a little bit more balance to the game. I think the imbalance in his game right now is not about him. It's just about the team environment. And so has he been better than he's been in some other seasons? He's been better in some areas and worse than others. I think he has not had the balance of the best possible Jaron. But, again, that's about the team. That's not about him. Yeah, I think, honestly, 
part of my reaction to it is, given the circumstances, like, if you think about it, coming into the year, you're thinking, you know, okay, we know we're going to be without Ja for 25 games, but we still, we're, we're planning on, you know, having something to say about this season. Then Steven gets hurt. Then it becomes the season from hell. I almost just wonder, like, am I overvaluing Jaron just because, like, I watch the circumstances and I feel like, man, he's bringing it every single night, and I kind of admire that. Oh, no, it, it is admirable. I, I don't, it's not about overvaluing Jaron. It's about – because I think Jaron is extremely valuable. Um, I think he's like a top 40 player in the league, right, a young two-way big man. Um, but I think – I, I, I do think people are overrating the scoring average of yeah. late a little bit in the context of his total play. I do think I do think there's something to that. What do you make of that Cleveland team? Um, you know, it's an interesting team because there's a lot of talent there, but it almost feels like in some ways they've been better when they, when the talent's been a little bit more partial. Yeah, there's a lot of duplication. It's like two small guards and two bigs. And it almost feels like when you have them all together, like that duplication, you're not actually maximizing the total talent. So you wonder if they need to tweak a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people have sort of assumed that Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell will be traded. But, you know, maybe Mitchell Garland is not the most optimum backcourt. Maybe Mobley Allen is not the most optimal frontcourt. Maybe just yeah. too much duplication there. So I, I think... You know, that team may need to tweak some stuff, but, I, but but that team should not be looking to blow anything up and start over. I think that team's really good, and maybe they just need some tweaks to get a little bit better. Yeah, because, like, I was trying to – like, I was thinking about it in the context of the East. Do I feel any better about them than I did last year? Not really, well, right? I, I mean, I guess I, injuries now with with Philly, like, uh, there's – I guess there's that, but I don't know. Like, I, I just – I really struggled thinking that that team was going to beat Boston in a seven-game series. Well, they're coming on of late. They had a bad start, and they've yeah. been coming on and climbing, climbing back up. I think they I went 12-1. I, I, I think they're 12-1 in yeah. their last 13, yeah. I, um, they have, over the course of the season, they have underperformed my expectations because I thought they had an outside chance to be the one seed. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to come out of the East in the playoffs, but I thought in the regular season if, if they could really come on, you know, be right up there with Boston and Milwaukee. Um, they had a lot of injury stuff early on. And then they've had some of the chemistry stuff. And so it hasn't all really come together for them until more recently. But I, I think, you know, I think that team has, but they're not going to be the one seed because that's going to be Boston now. But, like, it, they could be the two. Like, you know, I think they, they could be right there with New York, who's played really well lately, and then Milwaukee, who's sort of been a little more up and down. Now you have Philly with the Embiid stuff. <laughs> so I think, you know, I think two through, you know, five or whatever in the East is pretty fluid. And I think that team has the talent. You know, if they can keep keep things clicking, it wouldn't shock me if they were the two seed in the East. How much does this injury to Embiid? Because it's lateral meniscus. I love. How I was like, well, he's out this weekend. I'm like, if it's a lateral meniscus like tear, like they're gonna have to do something. Like I, the idea that like this would just be a week to week thing was absurd to me. But I mean, I, I don't know. How did you feel about it? This has sort of happened before with. Stuff like this with Embiid, where he sort of comes back earlier, plays through stuff that maybe other players and other spots in their career. I just think there's no, there's no sense of like you know what's going to happen about eight years from now with Embiid, just because you know I think the time is always now with him because of the kind of player he is. Yeah, and on some of this stuff, like like when Jaron had him in his meniscus thing. 
Like they took the longest, they took the long, long view with him. They could have done a different kind of process or procedure and come back earlier with Jaron. But with Jaron, they were thinking about the next 10, 15 years of his career, right? And B's at the point where, like, who knows what you're going to get three years from now, you know? And so I think there's so much focus on on the short term rather than the long term. And, and, and maybe that's appropriate, maybe it's not. But I feel like that's more the, the mind frame around him. Do you think we'll see the 65-game rule go away next year? I think there's a good chance it goes away or maybe it gets tweaked. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe it applies to MVP but doesn't apply to all NBA. Yeah. It tends to have more, more financial ramifications. I, I think it will be revisited, that's for sure. Chris, really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.